crossing over to the other side of the room to get the message. Uh, I'd like to start us off with prayer and then we'll get into it. So please uh, close your eyes, bow your heads with me. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we pray that your blessing may be upon this message and that uh, your word will continue to inspire us as it always does uh, to live a more complete and fulfilling Christian life. Uh, please help those of us who are present today to submit ourselves to, the, to, the, to your word, to the teaching from your word. And uh, we present these matters to you in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Now today we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 1 verses 27 to chapter 2 verse 11. And before we get started on the passage today, I'm going to briefly outline the context of the passage uh, that the message comes from today. Now at this point in the epistle, Paul has already given his his introduction to the church of Philippi and he has expressed the uncontained joy he has when he considers the church at Philippi. Now, he desires the believers, uh, he desires to be with the believers, but he is unable to do so. Uh, and because of that, he instead prays that their love would continue to grow more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Now, Paul, being unable to spend the time with the brethren at Philippi, he explains that he's being held in Rome under house arrest in chains by the palace guard. In these dire circumstances that he finds himself in, He's not upset, but he's rejoicing because he knows that God has placed him there for the glory of Christ, to be an effective witness for the gospel. He rejoices knowing that Christ is still being preached. Despite there being some individuals uh, earlier in the book, despite there being some individuals using his circumstances for their own benefit, he rejoices because they are still preaching Christ. The very last thing that Paul has written in this epistle before our passage today is how he desires to be with God in eternity. But he knows that he has not finished the work that God has given him, has set out for him to do. Paul knows that he is needed to be a source of encouragement for the brethren, especially because there was persecution in the church happening at the time. Uh, The believers were greatly distressed at Paul's predicament. Now, I have said previously, I can't remember who I said it to, but I have said previously that Paul is a champion of the faith. And when a champion of any context suffers, it's hugely discouraging. Think of your favourite sports team. When the champion suffers, the team will suffer. Paul knew his presence on earth would encourage the brethren and that is the work that God had set aside for Paul to do at this stage. Now, if you continue to read the book of Philippians, uh, which I always encourage, it is scripture, uh, hopefully you guys will will start to see a bit of a pattern in the epistle of Philippians. This book, this letter, has strong themes of unity within the church, unity with our Lord Jesus Christ, and the ultimate joy that this unity should bring us. Now, in Philippians chapter 1, our passage today, uh, verses 27 to 30, We're going to unpack what Christian living is. Paul specifically refers to this as a life worthy of the gospel. And that is what this section of the message is titled, Worthy of the Gospel. We look at how Christians should live and also what a sign that this worthy life is to the godless, to the unbelievers, that we are saved. From there we'll move to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Now in this part of the message... 
uh, we explore the unity that is shared amongst Christians and how that can be hugely encouraging for the brethren. Being Being united together actually results in joy amongst the believers. This is why fellowship is so important and those watching on Zoom, I encourage you to come in and enjoy the fellowship that we have together. Now, I've titled this section, United for Christ. The third point of this message today uh, looks at Christians being like Christ and then fleshes out how Jesus is the perfect example in how we should live. In this, we explore Christ's humility and the honour that God the Father bestows upon Jesus. This section is titled, Be Like Christ. Now, without further ado, let's go into the first part of the message today, and it's, again, worthy of the Gospel. Now, this is taken from Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 to 30. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the Gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you, or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it is being granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Now, Paul in previous verses... uh, tells the believers at Philippi, at Philippi that, he, that whether he lives or dies, God will still be glorified. That's a good thing. We, we should be encouraged by that. Paul is ready to stake his life for the gospel and knows that either way, he will be delivered from his circumstances. Now we come to this scene, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 onwards. Paul is urging the believers at Philippi to live as godly people. Regardless of what happens to him, they must live as godly people. Paul's presence would be a huge encouragement for the believers, but they also need to stand on their own two feet and serve God faithfully. As a demonstration of their faith to the world, they must serve God. Now, in these verses, the ones that should be on the screen, Paul gives us two reasons why he has urged the believers to live a life worthy of the gospel. Now, the first reason is found at the end of verse 27. Cool. Verse 27. Paul is wanting the brethren to be united and to stand firm. In those days, as I said earlier, there was persecution in the church and Paul wanted them to live a life worthy of the gospel, to stand firm and in Christ's love. Now, the application for us, all of us here, is that Christianity is it's not an individual effort. With the exception of Jesus Christ, it is, not an, it is not an individual effort. If we're going to fight this spiritual war, we cannot do it on our own. We need our comrades, we need each other, we need that fellowship. Now, there have been, throughout history, different points where the brethren, the believers, have stood together and they've changed the world in amazing ways. I'm going to give you the example of the Apostles. They stood firm despite despite the threats from the Jews and then later the Romans. They stood firm and their firm stance on the gospel changed the world. Another example, much later in history, is the abolition of slavery in the Western world. Did you know that it was actually Christians who stood firm and uh, against the slave trade and actually ended up stopping it? It was Christians. I... 
to give you some sources, I would encourage you to read the, the stories of John Newton and William Wilberforce, just to give you some context onto that. Now, throughout the scriptures, as I said, very strong themes of unity that are expressed in this passage. In these verses, Paul desires the brethren to be firmly united in the defence of the gospel. This desire is supposed to reflect the unity that Christ has with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Now, to go a little deeper into this, uh, the three persons of God, Father, Son, Spirit, they have eternally existed in a perfect unity, in a perfect relationship before the foundations of the world, of the earth. And our unity with each other is supposed to reflect that perfect Trinitarian unity. We can go even a step further and say that the unity that a husband has with his wife, where the two become one flesh, is also meant to reflect the perfect unity of the Trinity. And to go even further still, the unity between a husband and his wife is also a reflection of the unity between Christ and his people, us, the believers. Now, Paul's principal reason for wanting us to be united and to stand firm is so that we can be continually striving for the gospel. I hope you all understand striving for the gospel, advancing the kingdom, evangelising, all of that. We must be advancing the gospel. Now, to go into the second reason that Paul has listed uh, for urging the believers to live this worthy life is in verse 28 of our reading, you should see it up there, Paul writes that he did not want the brethren to be afraid or to live in fear. Now, if anyone present here today um, watches the news you would know that it thrives on spreading fear. Uh, We saw that through the COVID pandemic. We saw it earlier with the bad bushfires. We saw it with the Ukraine and Russian war, which is still raging. Uh, But over the past couple of days, I I don't know if anybody else has seen this story, but I saw a story on the news uh, where children got burned in a school experiment. The media loves to spread this fear. Now, for Christians, that's us. We have no excuse to be afraid. I have previously spoken about Christians and how they ought to conduct themselves when experiencing fear. But to reiterate it, we Christians, we are saved and we are guaranteed eternal life. We should not be afraid of the threats of the world. We should be, in fact, we should be ready to die for Jesus Christ. Later in this very book, Philippians, um, Paul says in chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, if you are a legitimate Christian, which I hope all of you are, and you are scared or you're worried about something in your life, Uh, then you need to repent of your fear and your worries and put your trust in Jesus Christ. The reason for this is we are instructed not to be anxious about anything. Now, when I say that to you, I do understand that there are times, there are circumstances where we're living our life, we have no worries, we have no fears, we're doing so well, but then something unexpected happens and then it causes us to have fear. I understand that, I do. I I can sympathise with that. But we should be constantly striving to live fearlessly 
for the gospel. Now, conversely, if you're not a believer, then you most definitely should be afraid. Unless you repent of your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ, you will suffer eternal damnation in hell. It's a stark contrast between the two. Believers should not be afraid because we have an eternal hope, a guarantee, but non-believers do not have the same hope that we do and they have every reason to be afraid. Now, the question we must ask ourselves is when we read about Paul giving us these two reasons to live the life worthy of the gospel, the question we must ask is why? Why must we be firm united and fearless. Paul actually gives us an answer, specifically because in the second half of verse 28 in our reading today, we can see that the reason that Paul has commanded us to live this worthy life is because if our life is worthy of the gospel, then that is a sign to the rest of the world. The reason this is a sign is because when we are living God's way, the way that God wants us to live, It is a testimony of God's love to us and it's a testimony to the rest of the world. Our righteous living highlights the world's wicked and sinful ways. Hence, they are condemned according to the scriptures. Now, for those of you who are driving, I know there's some younger people who don't quite have their licence, can't see them, but for those of you who drive on the road uh, or you work in a trade, There are signs all over the place. We're living in that uh, day and age where you need to put signs up even for the most uh, common sense things. Now, signs are very unique in their purpose. Signs normally have two purposes. The first purpose is that it is intended to grab your attention. When you see a sign, it's it's intended to grab your attention. Like a big billboard. You're driving down the road, you see a big billboard, it grabs your attention. The second purpose, it is normally to indicate danger. When people see signs, uh, they know that there is some hazard or danger ahead and it's telling them either to stop, turn around or proceed with caution. If we live our lives worthy of the gospel, then we are giving a sign to the rest of the world of the danger that they are in. We are grabbing their attention and we're saying stop, turn around or proceed at your own risk. Unfortunately, most people are blind and do not know how to read signs. Either that or they don't pay any attention to signs and they almost always have misfortune as a result. We see that on the road all the time, speed limits and all. Now, in verse 29 of our reading today, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. The scriptures in in this verse makes two things clear to us. The first half, the first thing that makes clear, first half of verse 29, is that we have been granted by the authority of Jesus to believe in Jesus. It's a bit of a confusing statement. Uh, This teaching, it ties into a theological perspective called Calvinism or Reformed Theology. Basically, the the premise is that God has chosen his people and the call of God to repent of the sin is irresistible to God's chosen people. Our faith is a gift from God 
we did not choose to believe him. God actually gave us belief in him as a gift. Now that was the first thing that this verse makes clear. The second thing is that when we suffer for the sake of the gospel, that also is a gift. Some would even call it a privilege. Do you feel privileged? (laughs) Um, The NIV Life Application Bible has a nice little comment that I'm going to read out to you. It says this, Suffering has these additional benefits. One, it takes our eyes from earthly comforts. Two, it weeds out superficial believers. Three, it strengthens the faith of those who endure. And four, it serves as an example to others who may follow us. Now, the NIV, the comment continues, when we suffer for our faith, it doesn't mean that we've done something wrong. In fact, the opposite is often true. End quote. If you guys ever find yourself suffering for your faith, for the gospel, then know that you've been given a gift. A gift by the Lord, not just a gift from anybody. It's a gift from the Lord. And he is wanting to strengthen your character. So you should rejoice. Now, I understand that some people might think this is a bit insensitive to rejoice when suffering is happening. In verse 30, we see Paul writing... He's not being a hypocrite when he writes this to the believers of Philippi. He himself is suffering for the sake of the gospel and he is urging the brethren to have the same resolve that he has. And that's the encouragement I would give you guys. Christianity is not for the faint-hearted. It is not to make people feel better. I've heard that comment a few times. If you are a Christian, then in fact you're actually promised hardship for the sake of the Lord. So be ready for this hardship. Now let's move on to the second uh, point on the message today. United for Christ. Now this is taken from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, excuse me, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. Now, before this section, uh, as as we just went through, we looked at living a life worthy of the gospel where we are to be united and firm and fearless. Paul himself is suffering for the gospel and he urges us to also empty ourselves for the sake of the gospel. Now in this passage, Philippians chapter 2 verse 1, we see Paul almost summing up the, the contents of the first chapter of Philippians. The NIV translation starts the passage with the use of the word therefore. An old mentor of mine, Uh, used to tell me that when reading a passage, if the word therefore is there, you need to figure out what it is actually there for. Uh, (laughs) Now, I'm not going to answer that right now, but I will come back to it because it is important. Uh, Now, as I said, coming back to it. 
Looking at the rest of verse 1, we can see Paul starting to give the summary of what he has already written in this letter to the brethren. For a whole chapter, Paul has written about how he desires the, the believers to grow in love and deepen their knowledge of God. He has talked about this glorious faith that we have been called into and how at that time in history there was persecution. But they should not be afraid of that persecution. They should rejoice and strive to be better witnesses of Christ, even to the point of death. But now he's giving them a bit of a summary to indicate to them some of the more important things that they need to learn and apply to their lives. Paul is really stressing, in verse 1, he's stressing any encouragement, any comfort, any common sharing, any tenderness and compassion. Paul's really emphasising these things to the believers at Philippi. Uh, and in verse 2, we see the release of this emphasis. When, like when a song, you see the drums, you start to build up the song, then the beat drops and, and the song proceeds. In verse 2, we could almost say this is the beat dropping. If you have any encouragement, comfort or common sharing with God and what he has done for us, then be united in Christ's love. Paul doesn't just tell us to be united, but he lays out how we are to demonstrate unity with our brothers and sisters in the faith. We are to be like-minded. We are to have the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Now, those three things, like-minded, having the same love and being of one spirit and mind, I'm going to break into, break into a little bit. So, like-minded. Now, we talked briefly on like-minded here. Uh, I have a friend, just to give you uh, a bit of a story with it. I have a friend, he belongs to another de- denomination. Now, my friend and I, we don't agree on everything theologically. We've had many discussions regarding that. Uh, But he once told me of an argument he had with his girlfriend. Uh, What he told me, it actually blew my mind. And it taught me some applications of scripture, actually, so I'm grateful for the fact that he told me. I don't remember what the argument was about. That's not relevant. I know it was was some difference in understanding of scripture. But he told me, this is the relevant part, he told me that if they did not see eye to eye on this issue, he would not marry her. Now, he didn't say this because he didn't love her. He obviously loved her. He was patient with her. He, was... anyway, he said this because in order to raise a godly family, the husband and the wife must be like-minded in their raising of the children. There can be no room for the husband and wife to be undercutting each other. They must be like-minded. Now, oddly, this scenario, this story, it's a perfect example of what Paul is talking about here when he tells us to be like-minded with the brethren. We need to ensure that the development of our brothers and sisters is not being hindered by too many different interpretations of the scriptures. Our message must be consistent across the board. Now, I I need to clarify this as well. Uh, I'm not talking about minor theological differences. We have that in our church and it's a beautiful thing. We have this unity. Uh, But the fundamental teaching must remain the same across the board. It is Christ who died for us and was resurrected. Now we go into the second bit, the same love. Going back to the verses, uh, we start talking about the same love. The same love is fairly simple. The people we are united with must be believers. They must have the same love as us. 
we should not be united with unbelievers. Unity with non-believers will create weak Christians who will not stand firm against sin and will crumble when persecution begins. Now, I've said something to my wife, and I'm sure not everyone will agree with me on this, but I have said to my wife in the past that we are not going to have fellowship with non-believers. We're not going to hang out with them just for the sake of hanging out with them. Now, if we were to ever have fellowship with non-believers, it has to be with a purpose. It has to be with the intention of witnessing. If we do not have the intention of witnessing or evangelising or sharing our faith with them, then we have no business being united or having fellowship with them. And that's the encouragement I would give to all of you. Spend time with non-believers, but have it with the purpose of witnessing our faith, trying to bring them into the love of Christ. Uh, If we do have fellowship with them, as I said earlier, it will seriously damage our faith and we will be in danger of crumbling to the pressures of sin and persecution. Now we go on to of the same mind and the same spirit. This point is very closely related to the same love and the same mindset. When we are of one spirit and of one mind, then we are determined to accomplish the same task together. In this case, it is to glorify God and to serve him faithfully. We are united in that common cause. Now, to give another story, I watch a show, uh, anime, for those who, who know what that is. It's Japanese cartoons. I'm, a bit, I'm still a bit of a child. Um, but the show that I watch, there's a, there's a team of people. One of the shows that I watch, there's a team of people. They're a crew. They're a team. And they... Every single season that I watch, they're constantly in a situation where there's bad guys and the bad guys are doing something so outrageous, so horrible, uh, and the good guys, the main guys, will always try to help people and stop the bad guys from doing what they're doing. Now, in every single season, there's a point where the good guys are helping, they're doing all the right things, but there's always a point where the bad guys have done something so outrageous, so horrible... And almost as one, in the exact same moment, the good guys stop what they're doing, they turn to face the bad guys, and they start marching towards the bad guys, united in their purpose. They're going to beat them. They're going to stop them. They're going to fight them. They're united in their purpose. Now, this is an example of uh, people being of the same spirit and of one mind. Christians should be united like this. We should be as one, moving towards the enemy for the sake of the gospel. By all means, witness individually, that's a good and right thing, but we should also band together when we need to and witness to the world when we need to. We should be united. Now, Paul says that his joy can be made complete by the unity of the brethren. Christians being united, it encourages us and it helps us to stand firm. But most importantly, it gives us joy to be with friends and family. We are a family. We're the, we're the brethren of believers. Uh, to give another illustration on this, on Wednesday nights I go running with uh, Jaden and Pearson and Mitch sometimes. I don't know where Mitch is. And uh, I can tell you I don't like running. I'm having a heart attack every single time that I'm going. 
And when I've finished and I'm lying on the, on the driveway of the Ford residence and I'm gasping for breath and uh, sometimes I'm saying, why, Lord? Uh, but more importantly, the reason that I continue to do it, not for my health, health is important, but because I actually enjoy the fellowship it brings. When I'm spending time with Jaden and Pearson and, and Mitch and anyone else who's welcome to join, I enjoy that fellowship and that's why I'm consistent with it. And we should all have that same desire. We should enjoy spending time together. Now, as I said a little bit earlier, I'm going to circle back to the word therefore. (laughs) Now, what is it actually therefore? It is there to highlight to the brethren that we are to be united with fellow believers with the same goal of serving God together and bringing him glory. And that's what it is actually there for. Now, to get back on track, verses 3 and 4. Paul gives us an example of how we could be united. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In order to be united... We must be selfless and not desire to do anything for our own benefit. That's not about us. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul talks about how there are some out there who are preaching Christ out of selfish ambition, but some others who are doing it out of pure motives. And this is the behaviour that Paul is referencing when he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. We are, again, we're united, we're believers. We're not in it for ourselves, we're in it together. Paul then continues on to say how we should be living. In humility, value others above yourselves. We should be constantly striving to build up the brethren and not dominate them or discourage them, but we should be building them up, we should be encouraging them. Verse 4 strongly uh, reinforces this. Verse 4 should be up there. The application for us today should be, it should be fairly simple to put it into later. We are not to be selfish in our serving the Lord together. We are not to be ambitious for personal reasons in the church. The opposite is true. We should be entirely selfless. If someone is weak, then build them up. Now, we all have uh, brothers and sisters in the church who are, we don't always get along with. They can be irritating to us sometimes. Uh, But because of our love for them, we do not speak harshly to them. We should always be striving to encourage them and build them up. Now, in saying this, uh, there are circumstances uh, that when we rebuke brothers and sisters because of sin, we do not do this to tear them down. Rather, we're actually instructed to do this to actually build them up. When, someone is, when a brother and sister is sinning, we rebuke them to build them, not to tear them down. Now, of course, if we are generally humble, genuinely, not generally, if we are genuinely humble in how we live and interact with each other, then we truly reflect Christ in our lives because Christ is the true example of what humility is. And that actually brings us to the last point of the message today, 
titled uh, Be Like Christ. Now this is taken from Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 to 11. In your relationships with one another, have the, have the same mindset as Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. End of the, end of the passage. Now, as I just said before this section, we must mimic Christ because he is the perfect example of humility. These verses show us why he is the perfect example of humility. Verses 6 and 7. It may surprise some people to know that Christ is actually our God. I hope it doesn't surprise you because we need a different conversation if that's the case. Uh, But he is actually our God. He is one of the persons of the Holy Trinity. And he is alongside the Father and the Holy Spirit, one of the members of the Holy Trinity, as I said. Uh, Furthermore, Christ did not use his godly status for the sake of personal advantage. Rather, in perfect obedience to the will of God the Father, Christ came and he took on the form of a lowly servant. He took on flesh. There are two things to understand here. The first being that when Christ came, he came to a poor family, a carpenter's family, Uh, I'm not saying anything there, Mark. Uh, (laughs) But he came to a carpenter's family. At that point in history, tradies were poor. He did not claim kingly authority on earth. Christ's kingdom is in the spiritual realm and it is much more glorious. That's the first thing. The second thing to understand is that Christ took on flesh which is what is called the form of a servant in this verse. The application to us is that we were meant to be servants of God. We were meant to be servants. When God created man in the garden, Adam, he designed us to serve him. And he was generous to us when he gave us some authority to tame the earth and multiply. Those are the two authorities we have as a birthright from God. God did not have to share that authority with us. He was generous with us. Now, in verse 8, it completely blows my mind that God himself, he loves us so completely and and he's so perfect in his obedience to God the Father that he submitted himself to the reality of death. Now, to give some light to this, since the fall, there are two types of deaths. There is the earthly physical death. We all will experience it one day, unless we're the last generation. But we will all die one day, the earthly death. And that's the, and that's the first type of death. The second death is a spiritual death. This is where people will experience the full wrath of God in hell. Being in hell is, class, is being classified as spiritually dead. 
our default setting in the modern world when we're born is to be spiritually dead as well. We only come alive when the spirit regenerates us. Now, to go to verses 9 and 10, because Christ was obedient to God the Father and died on that cross for the sake of his people, God the Father glorified Christ and exalted him to the highest place. Now, understand the contrast from verse 6. Christ did not use his godly status for personal gain, but because of his obedience, he was obedient. In return, God the Father showered Christ in all glory. We also know from the scriptures that everyone, and I mean absolutely everyone, uh, they will at some point, when Christ returns, they will bend the knee and acknowledge supremacy to Christ, the supremacy of Christ. Even if they stood against him, even if they were up in arms and they were enemies, that in this scene, in the scene when Christ returns, every knee will bow, every tongue confessed. Acknowledging Christ in that scene, that does not guarantee salvation, unfortunately. It's, it's an unfortunate situation. Salvation comes from repentance of our sins, believing Christ to be the Son who died and rose again for us, and following him for the remainder of our life on earth. Now, I encourage each and every one of you uh, to look at verse 5. Verse 5 should be on the screen uh, of this passage today. Strive for, strive for it. In your relationships with one, another, with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. If we live with the same humility that Christ showed, being obedient to God, loving each other, selfless acts, etc., then we will be glorified by God. We need to have the same mindset as Christ. Now I'm going to bring all of this into a conclusion. So to conclude the message today, I wanted to give a brief overview of the message. Uh, The three points in the message were worthy of the gospel, a life worthy of the gospel, united for Christ, and be like Christ. All three of these points were revolving around how Christians must live. Now, we saw the unity that Paul urged from us in Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 to 30, and we should be constantly striving to be united with our brothers and sisters. In Philippians 2, verses 1 to 4, we saw how Paul urged us not to be selfish or to have selfish ambitions, but to be selfless. And even value others above yourselves, ourselves. Paul said this so that we could be constantly striving to build up the church and the brethren within it. And in the last point, the one we just covered, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, Paul told us that we need to mimic Christ. Christ selflessly took on the punishment of our sin so that, when we, can have, so that we can have fellowship with God for all eternity. This is a fellowship that humanity lost when we were cast out of the garden and Christ has brought us back into that fellowship. I sincerely hope that all of you apply this to your lives. If you're not already applying it, then I hope that you are applying this to your lives and I pray that you, I hope that you would repent where repentance is needed. Let's pray together and then we'll have uh, our last song. Uh, Father, we give you thanks for the message today.